For those of you that haven't been here, I started last night talking about life's three biggest questions. Those questions are, who am I, where did I come from, and where am I going? Real simple questions. And last night I started sharing that before you can really find out who you are, you got to know where you came from. If you just see yourself as a product of your parents, if you see yourself as just evolving, as you see yourself, if you see yourself independent of God, being a special creation of God and think that you just happen, therefore it's up to you to act how you choose to act. If you don't see yourself as being accountable to a creator, then you know what? You'll never find out who you really are and what you're created to do. And therefore, your choice about where you're going will not be the proper choice. So last night, this is what we talked about, that we were created by God. We did not evolve. We did not just happen. I even countered some things about evolution and talked about this. I believe it is totally unscientific that there is no proof of evolution. It's people who choose to believe in it. You know, over in 2 Peter chapter 3, talking about the second coming of the Lord, and it says that some people scoff and say, since the beginning of the creation, everything continues exactly the way that it has been. And here you are talking about the second coming of the Lord. And then it says, this they willingly are ignorant of, that the world by the word of God was created and that the land stands out of the water and stuff. And it says they are willingly ignorant of it. The scripture said that 2,000 years ago. And you know, that is just as up to date today as it could ever be. There are people who are willingly ignorant of the fact that we were created by God, that we did not just happen. We are not our own masters. We are uh, an extension of God. God created us for His pleasure. Romans chapter, I mean, Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says that. And if you don't understand that, if you don't see yourself as being a unique creation, that God created you with the purpose to make a difference, to change things, to be a channel for Him to flow through, if you don't see yourself that way, I guarantee you, you haven't even gotten to first base. You haven't even started the process of truly knowing God and making a difference in this life. You've got to recognize that you were created by God for a purpose And you've got to discover what that purpose is. A passage of scripture I used last night, Jeremiah 10, 23. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. God did not create you and intend for you to operate independent of him. He gave you that choice. You have that much authority and power. He doesn't control us like a robot but He never intended for you to live that way. The only way for you to reach your full potential and find what life is all about is to find it in the Lord because you were created by Him for a purpose. There is a God-shaped vacuum on the inside of every one of us and until we make God the center of our life, you just don't have a clue about what life is all about. And I know that there's some people that are thinking, well, who are you to tell me what I have a clue about? I'm saying this based on the Word of God. And I'm telling you, whether you like it or not, God created you in His image for His purpose. And if you haven't found God as your source yet, then you cannot truly find who you are. And that's one of the reasons that people are going through midlife crisis, all the identity crisis, and everything else is because they're trying to find their identity, establish who they are in carnal things and not in who you are in the spirit. Matter of fact, our society today is becoming increasingly humanistic. Humanistic is a word that Christians hate and we abhor and we don't like it. But all humanistic means is that, that we in ourself, in our physical self, are the source of everything and it's not God as the source. And you know, a lot of Christians live that way. A lot of Christians look to their own resources, believe it is up to them to produce all of these things, and they don't see God as the source of their joy and their peace. There's a lot of Christians that are paying, uh, you know, the psychologists, the medical profession, all of these other people to do what God was intended to do in your life. I'm not against you. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying that that's not the way God made us to be. 
I just think it's terrible that you have to use a pill to get up, a pill to go to bed, a pill to regulate anything. I haven't taken anything but a Goss pill in 36 years. I hadn't taken an aspirin. You don't have to be dependent on those kind of things. God can literally be everything to you. God can teach you and be the center of everything in your life. But it all begins with you recognize Him as your source, that you were created by Him, that you didn't just happen. Your problems don't surprise God. God knows every problem that you will ever encounter in your entire life. And before you ever encountered the problem, God had already created the supply. The provision is already placed on the inside of you. And when you get that mindset, it just makes a difference in the way you go through life. You know you're going to have problems. I'm not saying you won't have problems, but I know that God's already anticipated my problems. He's already given me more than enough supply Because of my personal relationship with God, there is a peace that rules in my life. There is an optimism about the future and things that other people that don't see God as their source don't have. And there's a lot of Christians that don't even see God as their source. A lot of Christians have actually looked at the Lord as being for the future, for heaven, so that if you die, you won't go to hell. And they have basically asked the Lord to come into their life like an insurance policy And it's all for the future. But in this life, many people just feel like it's up to them. If they're going to get help, they're going to have to help themselves. They don't know how to get God to be the source and to flow through them. But God will meet every single need that you have in your life. Here in John chapter 3, verse 16, here's a familiar passage of Scripture. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I would love to minister on this verse, but I'm going to refrain myself or I'll never get to where I'm going tonight. But I've got a tape entitled Eternal Life that I had one of my employees who was listening to tapes day and night and they just couldn't get them quick enough. And they said, look, I need to cut to the chase. If you had one tape only to share with people, what would that be? And I said, a tape entitled Eternal Life. And that's a teaching on this verse. You need to get that. It would be a blessing to you. And I forgot what it's in, but it's in a lot of different things back there. I got an individual tape on eternal life, and it's in some of my series too. So just get them all, and you'll come across it. But anyway, John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that whosoever, uh, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you are already condemned. I wish I had time to go through this, but it'd take me an hour or two to make this so that the average person could understand it. But this is talking about that you are under the law, the Old Testament laws of you got to do this, this, and this, and if you'll do that, then God will respond to you. If you aren't born again, then you are relating to God based on your own merit, and that is guilt and condemnation. There is no joy. There's no peace in that. You're already under that. But that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bring you out from under this system of relating to God based on your goodness and worthiness. And He's offered you right standing with God as a gift. Man, that's an awesome truth. In verse 19, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Again, I could spend a lot of time on these verses, but basically, this is what I was talking about last night. If you are seeing yourself as being in union with God, if you see God as living in you, then you know what? It makes you come to the light. It makes you start walking in the light. It makes you love the light. People who aren't in God, who don't see themselves 
as a creation of God and they see that their life is theirs and that they can do with it what they want to. They don't come to the light because it would reprove their deeds. It would show the darkness in what they're doing. And this is going on in our society today. We see immorality and morality being separated. There's a clear division between it. And I guarantee you the conservatism versus the liberalism could be boiled down to morality versus immorality. And it all comes back. People are fighting against the light. You know, here's another way of saying it, the scriptural terminology. Jesus said that there would come, you know, the Antichrist. And even now is there a spirit of Antichrist in this world. There is a spirit of Antichrist. And we don't usually call it that, but that's what it is. When people stand against everything that is moral and right and good, that is a demonic spirit who is now gaining an unprecedented influence in our society. And it's against everything that is godly everything that is moral, and this is going on. And you are either in Christ or you are out of Christ. What I'm talking about now is the first question we answered last night is where did I come from? And we talked about that. You were created by God. You, are, you did not evolve. Tonight, we're trying to discuss, discuss who am I? You are either in God and therefore you come to the light and you desire to have the light and the light of God manifest in you and through you, or you are of the darkness. And those are the only two choices. And our society today doesn't like this. You know, we've gotten away from this to where we evaluate people based on their relative goodness. And we see some people who are good people, people who are in movies or sports figures, and we've learned to admire them. And because we admire them, we just can't think that people are going to go to hell. And so we think, oh, no, that can't be. You know, Jamie and I were in England when uh, Princess Diana died in that car. Were we in England or was it just we'd come back the week after or something? I forgot. But anyway, we were in England during this period of time that Princess Diana died in that car crash, and there was a headline in one of the newspapers where a Baptist minister was holding Sunday school right after this, and the people were asking, one of the kids in the Sunday school class asked, did Princess Diana go to heaven? And the minister just simply said, well, it depends on her relationship with God. If she had made Jesus her Lord, she went to heaven, but if she didn't, she went to hell. The kid went out of there saying, the pastor said Princess Diana went to hell. And a headline was, Baptist minister says Diana is in hell. And I mean, the parliament meant about this. And there was an uproar because people respected and and idealized her. It was like, you know, uh, Camelot. It was like... The queen, they idealized her. It was a fantasy that people had and people couldn't bear the thought that somebody like Princess Diana would go to hell. But this is reality. If you don't know Jesus Christ, and I don't know her heart, I'm not her judge, so I'm not going to say, but let me say that the week before she um, died in this car wreck, she went to her astrologer and had her fortune read. You would think that if they were really fortune tellers, they could have told her not to go through that tunnel (laughs) or not to... (laughs) do what she is doing, but I don't know her heart, but you know, it looks to me like that she didn't know the Lord. And if she didn't know the Lord, hell is a real place and people will go to hell. And our society doesn't like this kind of stuff today. And we think, oh no, you know, somehow or another, God's going to work all of this out. It doesn't really matter what you believe, just as long as you believe something, just as long as you have faith in something. That is not the message of the Bible. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You've got to go to the Father through Jesus. Buddha, Hare Krishna, Hare Lam, Islam, nothing else can produce true relationship with God. And I know that some people think, well, that's a harsh statement. How dare you say that? But you know what? Why would Jesus have come if he was only a way? What a tremendous price to pay for God to send His Son and put our sins on Him if there was some other way that He could fix it. There was no other way. There is no other way unto the Father except through Jesus. So when we're talking about who am I, you have to define that first of all based on what you have done with Jesus. 
If all you've done is acknowledge that Jesus is a man and a good man, then you know what? You are not in Jesus. You are not in relationship with God. I used those passages of Scripture last night talking about the offering out of Matthew chapter 10 where the rich young ruler says, Good master, what must I do? And he says, Either call me God or quit calling me good. And he says, Master. He dropped the good. He wasn't willing to make Jesus the absolute master of his life. You know, I could spend all night talking on this. I just want to say this and I'm going to go on because there's some real positive, encouraging things and I want to tell you about who you are in Christ. (laughs) But let me say this, that you know what? There are multitudes of people today who believe they're Christians because they associate with Christianity, because they acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. But the Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, you believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Just believing that Jesus is the Son of God is not sufficient to produce salvation. There has to be a commitment on your part to that. There has to be a trust and an adherence to Him. Just an acknowledgement of who He is is not enough. The devils acknowledge who Jesus is. Jesus would walk into places and demons would start crying out and say, We know you, who you are, the Holy One of God. And yet they weren't saved. There are multitudes of people today that think that because they acknowledge that Jesus came and they believe that He exists and because they call themselves Christians, I mean, they're a Christian because they aren't a Muslim, they aren't a Buddhist, and they aren't a Hindu, so that makes them a Christian. I've actually had people pull coins out of their pockets before and it says right here, in God we trust, I'm a Christian. They don't know what a Christian is. Just because you've got a coin that says in God we trust doesn't make you a Christian. You have to have a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to make a personal commitment of your life to Him. You have to bow the knee. The scripture says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. It says you have to confess Him as your Lord. Now this isn't saying that you have to be perfect, never sin, but you have to make a commitment to Him as He's the boss. I am not God. You are. I trust you. I rely upon your salvation. One of the ways you can tell whether you've done this or not is to just imagine if you were standing before God, if there was a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist there, and if all of you stood before God and if he says, what makes you worthy to enter into heaven? How would you answer? Well, the Muslim or the Hindu or the Buddhist, they would point to something that they've done. They'd say, I wore a saffron robe. I shaved my head. I had a cup. I took an oath of poverty. I denied myself. I worshiped my ancestors. I fed rose petals to ants. I was kind to animals. I, they would point to something that they have done. And every one of them is going to go to hell because they didn't have a savior. And it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that Buddhist, Muslim... Did you know that in some Muslim countries, their standard of morality is higher than in this nation? In Muslim countries, you can leave your doors unlocked. You know why? Because if you steal over there, they'll cut your hand off. If you commit adultery, they kill you. Did you know that Muslims, are, as far as outward actions, are more holy than many Christians because of the law and the wrath that is being... Produced, And so if you just judge it based on holiness, well, then they, many of them would beat us into heaven. But that is not what it's all about. Christianity is the only religion, if you want to call it that, on the face of the earth that has a Savior. Every other religion puts the burden of salvation on you, on you doing right, on you shaving your head, putting on a robe, begging, doing some kind of a ritual crawling on your hands and knees, doing something. But you know what? Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth where God Himself came down and became a man and paid the price for us and we access God because of our relationship to Jesus. If we have made Jesus Christ our personal Lord, then 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you get born again, when you come in Jesus, you become a totally brand new species of being that never existed before. That's what one of those translations translates 2 Corinthians 5.17. You are a totally brand new person. So when we're talking about who am I, it's all based on do you see yourself as a creation of God, as accountable to a creator, and then have you bowed the knee and made Jesus your Lord? If you have, then first of all, the most general thing about who you are is that if you have made Jesus your personal Lord, then you are born again, you are a Christian, a small Christ It was a derogatory term that was used to speak of the followers of Christ because they acted just like Jesus. They turned the other cheek. They walked in love and people spoke of them like they're little Christians. Man, what a great compliment. You are in Christ. If you aren't born again, then you are not in Christ and it's going to depend on your personal position inside of Christ whether you are accepted or rejected by God. There may be people in here who are holier than I've ever thought about being, but if you haven't bowed the knee and put your total confidence in Christ, if you stood before God and if you pointed to your good works and said, well, look at my church attendance and look at my giving record and I helped little old women across the street and I did the best I could and I turned over a new leaf and I quit dipping and chewing and all of these kind of things. If you answer any of those questions, eh, you go to hell. Because you aren't going to be worthy. The only answer that will get you into the presence of God is that, you know, I I don't have any reason that makes me worthy other than the fact that I've got a Savior and Jesus is my personal Savior. If you answer that, you're saved. If you don't answer that way, if you answer any other way, you miss heaven by a mile. That's who you are. And I'm going to assume tonight, of course, we're going to give you an invitation and an opportunity tonight because I bet you that there's some people here who have not truly put their confidence in the Lord. You are just hanging around Christians because this is what you were raised in and you may know that God exists, but you've never personally committed your life to Him. We're going to give you an opportunity to be born again tonight and I believe that there are some people here that need to be born again. But I'm going to assume that the vast majority of you in here have already made that commitment And I can tell you by my own personal testimony that I got born again when I was eight years old. Some people may question that, but I was forever changed. I was truly born again. I remember the third grade, the next day after I got born again, going to school. And I wasn't a, you know, real bad kid before. It's not like I told dirty jokes or smoked or doped or did anything. But the next day at school, my friend says, what's happened to you? They could tell I was changed. And I, I had to give a witness the very first day I was born again. I told them I got saved because there was a difference in me at eight years old. I got truly saved. But the church that I was brought up in basically didn't teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't teach about having the life of God in you. Basically, they just got you saved and stuck. It was like... You know, get you saved, and then once you're saved, well, then come to church and get somebody else saved, and that's all it was about. Once you got saved, you never had to go to church again, really, because that's all they preached was how to get saved every week. And so because of that, I was saved. I loved the Lord. I knew that if I was to die, I'd go to heaven. My dad died when I was 12 years old, and I knew enough of the Word that I knew he was with the Lord, and we had a celebration and rejoiced and praised God at that funeral. And I believed in those things. But you know what? My life was powerless. I was an absolute introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. If a person tried to talk to I couldn't respond. I'd get tongue-tied and stop. I couldn't do anything. I was introverted. I was hindered in every area of my life because I knew I was saved, but I didn't know what had happened to me when I got saved. I thought that it was all about in the future. Our church used to sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. In the sweet by and by. They never sang about the rough now and now. They never told you how to get along with that. And because of that, honestly, I was born again. And I used to long for heaven when someday we would have no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears. When we would see people healed. 
It never dawned on me that these kind of things happen today. But then I had this experience, and again, I don't want to focus on this tonight, but I just can't help but mention how good God was. When I was 18 years old, God stepped into my life in a supernatural way. I was already born again, but God just revealed Himself to me, and intuitively, instantly, I knew that God loved me. Now, before that time, I would have said, oh yeah, God loves me. But then I'd turn around and say, he loved me so much that he killed my dad when I was 12 years old. That's what I was taught. He loved me so much that God's the one that's letting me be sick because it's probably I deserve it. That's not love. I didn't understand love. But March the 23rd, 1968, I had an encounter where God supernaturally revealed his love to me. And for four and a half months, I was just gone someplace. I was in the presence of God. I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me. And the amazing thing about it was I knew that it had zero to do with how lovely I was. And it was all about God being pure love. I saw my unworthiness greater than most of you have ever seen. And I know some of you don't understand that and you think that because I've lived a relatively moral life, I've never felt the guilt or the condemnation. I've had God put His spotlight on me and I've seen myself as less than nothing and uh, I knew that God's love was not based on any virtue in me whatsoever. It wasn't because I was lovely, it was because God was love. And so I knew these things intuitively But, and the reason I'm sharing all of this is because I know that many of you have had God touch your life in a way that you know God loves you. You have experienced God. You know He's real. But even though I had that experience, my head still did not understand what happened to me at salvation. I didn't have the right image of who I was. I didn't have the right identity. And because of that, I was in huge turmoil. I had this experience where I knew God loved me, but my head just constantly was telling me, you aren't worthy of God loving you. How can Almighty God love you? And I saw myself on the outside. And here's what I'm trying to get across tonight. This passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. When you got born again, if you are now in Christ, you are a totally brand new person. And most of us don't have a good idea of who we really are in Christ. Most of us really do not see that. If you feel condemned, if you feel guilty, if you feel unworthy in any way, I can guarantee you, you don't see yourself in Christ because in Christ there is nothing unworthy in you. And I had to go through a lot to learn this. But tonight, just real quickly, I want to share a a couple of things with you. And again, I've got a lot of tapes that will help you get a greater idea of this. But your true identity in Christ is radically different than what most of us think. Many of you, if I was to ask you who you are, well, you'd either tell me about who your parents were, where you came from, you'd tell me you're an American, you would refer to your job, to your accomplishments, you would look at yourself. If I was to ask you what you look like, you would go by what you see in a mirror and all of these kind of things. And you would define yourself by all of these external things. But you know what? If I was to ask you who you are in Christ, what you look like, the average Christian wouldn't have a clue. The average Christian does not understand what they have. And you can prove it by the way we pray. We ask God, oh God, come and just touch my life. Man, I'm going to share some my pet peeves with you. And I'm aware that terminology isn't everything. Sometimes people's heart is right and what they're saying is wrong. And God is big enough to look beyond that. And so please don't take offense by what I'm saying. But I'm telling you, the way that we pray, the way that we sing reveals a lot about what we believe. And we're saying, oh God, rid the heavens and come down. 
God did rend the heavens and come down through Jesus. We're saying, God, just touch my life and give me power. God has already put his power on the inside of you. You have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's not out there. It's in here. You know, this whole spiritual warfare thing that has been taught. And again, there is a proper use of spiritual warfare, but the excesses of it where they teach that there are demonic powers that are binding an area, that Atlanta has these strongholds over and we got to pray a hole through the demonic power so that our prayers can get up to heaven. That is just dumb to the second power. That is dumb, dumb. What do you mean your prayers have to get up to heaven? You know why you bow your head when you pray? So you can look at God. He's right here. Amen. Some of us look like we got more of God than others, but we don't. And you know what? God is not out there. And this whole thing of you got to get your prayers past the demonic powers shows that they don't know that you are God possessed. That you are a brand new person. That God Almighty lives on the inside of you. And you have God Almighty living on the inside of you. You know, as we go on and just talk about this, if I could somehow or another get you to see what I've seen about what God has done in my life, it is impossible for you to be depressed thinking about who you are in Christ. And yet, if this is a typical group, I've done this in a lot of churches, say, how many of you are fighting discouragement and depression? It's not unusual to have 80% or more of spirit-filled Christians stand up and say that they constantly fight discouragement and depression. If you're doing that, I'm not condemning you, but I'm saying the reason you're doing it is because you are looking at yourself on the outside trying to figure out who you are based on your talents and abilities and what your circumstances are like and who you're married to and what your children are like and how they're doing and you haven't yet discovered who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ is so awesome. It is so awesome that if you ever get a vision of it, you can never be depressed again. It's impossible to be depressed thinking about that I am anointed by the Almighty. Man, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, is at my beck and call. He is constantly listening to me, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God Almighty is listening to me. God loves me. God carries my picture in his wallet. He's got an eight by 10 of me on his mantle in heaven. God Almighty loves me so much that if I'd have been the only person on the face of this earth, he would have died for me. You think on those kind of things and then be depressed. And I don't care what time of the month it is or what your hormones are doing. You cannot be depressed thinking that way. Amen. Those are just excuses for you to operate in unbelief. If you think like, if you think spiritually minded, Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says you will have only life and peace. If you are discouraged, defeated, and depressed, you can sit there and say, but you don't know what this person did to me. You don't know what I've been through. Well, I'm telling you, you don't know what God has done for you. Because if you thought on who you are in Christ Jesus, you will not have death or any of these kind of things, but instead you'll have life and peace. That's what the Bible says. You know, I don't have to be with you when you plant your garden to find out what you planted. All I got to do is be there when something grows up. And I can tell what you planted in your garden by what's growing in it. I don't have to be with you every minute of every day. You just come to me and say, oh, I'm so worried. You don't know who you are in Christ Jesus or you would have zero reason to worry. You say, but I'm depressed. You don't know who you are in Christ Jesus or you would not be depressed. Well, I've lost my vision. I just can't believe that things are going to work out. You haven't been looking on who you are in Christ Jesus because the Bible says, Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Spiritually minded is word minded. Whatever the word says, John 6, 63 says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So if you are thinking according to the word, you are spiritually minded and all that will produce in your life is life and peace. Brothers and sisters, I'm not saying these things to criticize. I'm saying it to enlighten, but I am saying that if you are defeated, discouraged, depressed, if you can't tell any difference between you and your unsaved neighbor, if you get sick as often as they do, 
You get laid off the same as they do. You have the same fears. When 9-11 hit, if you were shocked and scared and wondering what was going to happen and you weren't sure you were ever going to fly on a plane again, just like an unbeliever, there's a serious problem on the inside of you and the way you think. And it's because you aren't seeing yourself in Christ Jesus. Perfect love will cast out fear. And you have perfect love that's been given unto you and you just aren't seeing who you are in Christ Jesus. The reason this is so hard, the reason I struggled with this is because you just intuitive, you just know how you are in your physical body. You know what, right now you feel either hot or cold or comfortable. Or you feel that, man, this is a hard chair. When's this guy going to get through talking? <laughs> or you feel that you're hungry. Or you feel that you need to go to the restroom. Or you feel, you know what? You know exactly what's going on in your body. You don't have to search or research or pray about it. You just feel. You know how you are in the physical realm. And you know that there's a soulish part of you. And you feel that too. You either feel encouraged or discouraged, happy or sad. And all of these things. You just know your soul and your body realm. And we know this. But the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. He says, I pray God that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus. You have a spirit, soul, and body. Your, your body is easy. You can see it in a mirror. You can see it right now. You can feel it. Your soul, you know what's going on in your soul. You know how you feel. But you know what? The spirit, you can't discern the spirit. You can't feel the spirit. Some of you think, oh yes you can. I felt the spirit. You can't feel the spirit. Jesus said in John 3, I believe it's verse 16, that which is spirit is spirit. That which is flesh is flesh. Not, couldn't be John 3, 16. Maybe it's John 3, 6. It's John 3 something. He was talking to Nicodemus. He was talking to Nicodemus and he says, that which is spirit is spirit and that which is flesh is flesh. What he was saying is that spirit is spirit, flesh is flesh. You cannot feel, touch, perceive the spirit in physical ways. Now what you can do, your soul through faith can believe and perceive. You can see things by faith. You can feel things by faith. Your faith, the anointing of God is tangible. You can put it into a cloth, Acts 19, 11, and pass the anointing of God to another person. It can flow through a robe the way it did into this woman who got healed. Faith and anointing is tangible, but the spirit cannot be perceived in any physical way. You can't put it in a test tube. You can't weigh yourself and find out when the spirit leaves. It's not like that. Spirit is spirit, flesh is flesh, and the only way you can find out what's going on in the spirit is through God's word. John 6, 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is a perfect representation of spiritual truth. James chapter 1 says that any man who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the Word of God is what he's talking about, and continues therein is like a man who sees himself in a mirror. He makes a comparison. If you want to see if your hair is combed, you know, you can't go by how you feel. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you've never seen your face. Some of you think, oh, I have to. You have never, ever, ever seen your face. You can't see your face. All you've ever seen is a reflection of your face, a picture of your face, a drawing of your face. And you have accepted what you see as being real, but you've never seen your face. Hadn't you ever looked in a mirror that makes you look either tall and skinny or short and fat? You know, mirrors can... <laughs> Pastor Karen said she loves those tall, skinny ones. <laughs> but you know what? How do you know that the image you see in the mirror is accurate? I'm not trying to get you to doubt that. I'm just saying that you know what? You have learned to look at something that isn't really you. It's just a reflection of you and you trust it. Well, that's what you do with the Word of God. You can't see your spirit. So how do you know what's going on in the spirit? Well, most of it just say, well, if I had joy in my spirit, I'd know it. No, you wouldn't. Because spirit is spirit, flesh is flesh. How do you know what's going on in your spirit? You turn to the Word of God. 
And God's Word, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are truth. It's a spiritual mirror. If somebody says, how are you? Most of us feel, well, I got a pain over here. And the doctor said this, or you say, man, I'm depressed and I'm discouraged. What you're doing is searching your body or your soul. But you know, your answer, you need to change your identity and recognize that if you are born again, you are a new creature in your spirit. There is nothing that was like it was before. You don't have an old dead spirit that has been forgiven and that it someday is going to be completed and resurrected. Right now, the born-again spirit on the inside of you is the same spirit you will have throughout all eternity. It's not going to have to be cleansed, refurbished, dusted off, repaired, anything. It is now perfect, pure. It's identical to the Lord Jesus Christ. In your spirit, you are as righteous, as holy, as pure as Jesus is. And some of you think, I can't believe that. You know why? Because you look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God sees you a new creature. And the problem is most Christians don't see themselves a new Christian, a new creature. They may have the terminology and say, oh yeah, I'm a new person in Christ. But in reality, you face cancer like a human being. And you aren't only human. Man, one of the worst songs ever written is One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. It starts by saying, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. Wrong. I'm not only human. I'm not just a man. One third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. One third of me is identical to the Lord Jesus. I have the same power on the inside of me that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's who I am. And I'm not only human. And for me to just say, well, after all, you know, we're only human. Yeah, you know, we just can't do things. To sing songs like further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. How can you cheer up singing a sad song? Cheer up, my brother. It'll be worth it if you can just barely drag yourself into heaven. You know what? Right now, I have the mind of Christ on the inside of me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, and 2, 1 Corinthians 2, 16. Many scriptures, Colossians 3, 10. I have the mind of Christ on the inside of me, and all i got to do is get it out. See, if you would start finding out who you are, you first of all have to be in Christ. But then if you are in Christ, you've got to discover... What you have in Christ and what God has given you and the average Christian doesn't have a clue. They think that God's power is out there and they say, oh God, stretch forth your mighty hand and touch us. God doesn't need to lift a finger. He's already put the power on the inside of you and what he needs is somebody to stand up and say, man, I've got it. I've already got it. God's power is on the inside of me. And you know what? Even if you don't know how to release it, There are keys. There are things you need to understand. But if you don't know how to release it, if you don't understand the Word of God, if you just keep after it, you'll see some miracles happen. You know, before I ever heard of Copenhagen, Copeland and Hagen, I had never, I didn't know about confessing the Word. I didn't know about anything But I knew that I had God living on the inside of me and that the same power that indwelt Jesus indwells me. And because of that, I just laid hands on anything that had moved and I started seeing blind eyes open, deaf ears open. I saw miracles happen before I knew that there was another person on the face of the earth who had ever seen a miracle since the days of the Bible. I didn't know that anybody else was doing it. I know some of you think that's a little strange, but I honestly was seeing miracles happen before I knew that there was another person on the face of the earth doing it. See, I just knew that God was in here somewhere. I didn't know much of the word, but you know, even an old blind squirrel come up with a nut if he doesn't quit. And man, I just wasn't going to quit. I'd lay hands on one person and they'd die. And I'd just step to the next one and lay hands on that. I saw four people die while I was praying for them before I saw the first one come back to life. You know what? You need to understand the Word. I'm not saying that there's a premium on ignorance, but I'm just saying that if you understood that, you know what? Somewhere in here, 
is what God's word says. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 says the fruit of the spirit is love. Now this is telling you what's in your spirit. This is what's in your spirit right now. And if you don't feel it, it doesn't mean it isn't there. It just means you aren't in tune with the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what's in your spirit right now. And it's a fruit. It's produced 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There is no dormant season any time of the year that that's not being produced. Did you know that every time you're depressed and you just feel like the weight of the world is on you? I did yesterday. That's your flesh. I tell you what, Carrie's receiving, amen. You know what, when you feel that way, your spirit's not feeling that way. It's your flesh, it's your carnal self. And so when you say, what's wrong with me, I'm depressed, you've solved your problem. You're in the flesh because your spirit can't be depressed. It never gets depressed. It's never been discouraged. The whole time that you're sitting at home having your pity party, that you've sent out all of your invitations and all of the demons in the county have shown up, and you're just wailing, oh God, where are you? Do you know what? Your spirit is just rejoicing. It's full of love, joy, and peace. There has never been a time that your spirit is depressed. If you're depressed, you aren't in the spirit. I know some of you are thinking, this is a little deep. This isn't deep, it's shallow. This is baby stuff. This is what every Christian ought to know the day they get born again, that you became a brand new person. And on the inside, you've got a new you that's there. But you can't feel him. You can't see him in a mirror. You just have to go to the Word and look it up. When somebody says, how are you? Instead of saying, well, i got a pain here. Or feeling in your emotions, what you need to do is say, well, let me see. Uh, right here, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I am blessed. I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. And I've actually had students come up who've seen me and they knew that things were going bad and that we were behind and we had this problem and that problem. And they'll say, how are you? And I say, I'm blessed. And I've had students get mad before and say, hey, I want to know how you really are. And I said, I really am blessed. And they said, but I want to know how you feel. And I said, who gives a rip how I feel? I don't care how I feel. Some of you, well, you're in denial. I am in denial. I deny that I am only human. I am not denying that I don't have feelings and emotions. There's times that I feel the same thing that anybody else feels. But you know what? That's not me. That's my carnal self. I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. And I'm not going to act like an old man. I've changed identities. I am a new person in Christ. This, what I'm doing here tonight, is exactly opposite what I could have done in myself. I was an introvert and afraid. I, the first year I tried to minister, I had nearly killed me. Jamie could tell you I was about to die because I was so fearful and nervous. This is not me. I've got an anointing. I'm doing things that are impossible for the old me to do. This is because of who I've found I am in Christ. When I pray for people, when I see people raised from the dead, that is not me. That is the new me. Actually, it is me. It's the new me because that's now me. It's not the old me, though. But, you know, I have feelings just like anybody else. But I've learned that if they, if they aren't what I want, then I just reject them. Some people are like, well, you can't do that. Well, see, you don't know you can do that because you think that what you feel and what you see is it. And you don't know that there's a new you that cannot be put in a test tube, felt, proven in the natural things by your senses. You are being sense-ruled. That's what the Bible calls carnal. Carnal doesn't necessarily mean sinful. All sin is carnal, but not all carnality is sin. Just going by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel is carnal. That's what the word carnal means, of the five senses. 
Literally, the Greek word for carnal means the skin as stripped of flesh. Talking about the layer below your epidermis, the part underneath. That's what the word means. The word carnal, is uh, it comes from a Greek word that we get carny from, which means meat. Chili con carne. It's talking about meat, flesh, sense knowledge. When you call somebody carnally minded, you're calling them a meathead. So the word carnal just literally means that you are being dominated by what you see. And most of us, if I was to say, who are you? You define who you are by what you see in the mirror, what you feel in your mind and in your emotions, what your accomplishments are, what your resume says. But this ought to define who you are. I am who God says I am. I am anointed by God. I can heal the sick, cleanse the lepers and raise the dead because God has commanded me to do it. I am above only and I'm not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. I've got love, joy, and peace. And that's who I am and that's what I've got. Brothers and sisters, most people don't know who they are. Most Christians don't know who they are. They aren't defining it right. And if you don't know who you are, then I can guarantee you that will affect what goes on in your life. If you don't know that the power that's on the inside of you is infinitely greater than every sickness, every disease, all rolled into one, the power on the inside of you is bigger than any of that. If you don't know that and believe it, then you might believe that God has the power. But if you don't understand that you've already got that power deposited on the inside of you, then you'll respond in fear to all of these things. You know, there was a man, John G. Lake, And this man, many people have heard of him, but he lived here in the United States. And his um, city that he lived in, what was that, Spokane? Spokane, Washington. And it was ruled, voted the number one healthy city in America a number of years in a row because of his healing ministry. He saw so many documented cases of physical healing that the state of Washington gave him a medical license. He had no medical training, but he saw more people heal than the doctors did. There were two hospitals in Spokane back in that time, and uh, he closed one of them down. Fifty percent of the people quit going to the doctor because he was so effective. He had what he called healing practitioners, and when people would call uh, for healing, he would send them out with a vial of oil and says, don't come back until they're well. And the longest any person stayed gone was three weeks. They would move in and stay with the person and minister the word and pray to them until they got healed. He had a hospital where people would come and stay in the rooms and he didn't administer any medication. All he did was go by and he had these practitioners that would come in and talk to him and find out where they were, minister the word, pray for him. And there wasn't a single person that ever checked in that didn't leave well. He saw great miracles happen and you know why? Because he knew what he had. There was an instance of the bubonic plague coming by. And because of his, uh, the fact that he had a medical license in a hospital, he was helping these doctors that were dealing with the plague. And they were in something like a gymnasium. And they were taking all of the dead people and putting them in one section and separating them from the live people. And as they were dealing with this guy who had just died, he helped carry them into this room. And this guy had just died of the plague and had foamed and he had foam all around his mouth. And this medical doctor says, aren't you glad that we've got a vaccination? And John Lake looked at him and says, who's got a vaccination? And this medical guy just freaked like, you can't be working with these people without being inoculated against this. You'll die. And he says, no germ can touch my body and live. And of course, this guy said, sure. And he didn't believe it. So he says, I'll prove it to you. And he had him take one of these slides that you put under a microscope And he scraped some of that saliva off of this guy's mouth. They put it under the microscope and you could see the germs and they're just moving all around. And then John Lake says, watch this. And he just touched it with his finger and instantly everything was totally still. Did you know some people say, oh, I wished I had that power. You do. The difference is he knew what he had and he believed it. And we don't believe it. And we're thinking, oh God, please give me that power. And so then we begin a quest of trying to petition God and beg God for what he's already given us instead of believing that it's been done. 
It's like Cecil was saying this morning, the average Christian is trying to get into a room that they're already in. The average Christian is asking God for more faith when the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. You have God's kind of faith on the inside of you. You don't need more faith. You need to believe that you've got faith and then use it. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6 says the communication of your faith becomes effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. I don't know if this is helping you the way it's helped me. But you know what? After I had this experience with the Lord and I knew that God loved me, I knew it, but I couldn't understand it. If you can't understand it, Satan will eventually steal it from you. Matthew chapter 13 verse 19 says that the first type of soil is a person who understood not and then the evil one came and stole away the word that was in his heart. The only type of person that God can steal, the, I mean the devil can steal the word from is a person who doesn't understand. So I had experienced God's love. I knew that God loved me, but I didn't understand it because I was looking on the outside. God was looking on my spirit. John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I was coming before him in the flesh thinking, oh God, I've failed you today and wondering how he could love me. And God wasn't looking on my flesh that had failed. He was looking on my born again spirit that was created in righteousness and true holiness. We can't walk together unless you're agreed. See, I was looking at myself the wrong way. And because of this, I was losing the benefit of it. And during... My time in Vietnam, I literally spent 13 months over there asking God to kill me, not because of Vietnam and not because of anything negative, but because I figured that I couldn't keep the walk up in this life. I didn't know what I did to make God reveal His love to me. I didn't know why it left. I didn't know where the feelings had gone. I didn't know how to get it back. And I figured the only way I could really experience that God kind of love again was just to die and go to heaven. So I spent 13 months asking God to kill me. And then I nearly died twice in one day. It's a long story, but you know what? I found out I wasn't as excited about dying as I thought I was. And out of desperation, I knew I had to do something. And there was such a pull of sin over in Vietnam that to... To keep my mind, I was living in a bunker that was wallpapered with nude photos of women. Pornography, that was the bunker that I was living in. And to keep my mind on God, I mean literally 16 hours a day, I was like this. I would read the Word and I couldn't even look up to think about it. I'd just be like this. I read the Word 16 hours a day for months. And the thing that changed my life, I began to start seeing these things that I'm a new creature that I have love and joy and peace. And I began to recognize that everything I was asking God for was already in here. It wasn't that God gave me something new that night, March the 23rd, 1968. I just got a glimpse of what was already in me in Christ Jesus. And my whole life has changed. I'm not asking God to give me more power to give me more anointing. I heard Kenneth Copeland one time talking about how he was saying, God, I need more power. I need more power manifest. And he was beseeching God and begging God for power. And finally the Lord spoke to him. He says, Kenneth, where would I go to get any more power to give it to you? I've already given you all things. You've already got it. You don't need more power. You need to go to believing what you've already got. You don't need more revelation. You don't need more faith. You don't need more joy. You need to find out that you've already got it. And if you understand that you've already got it, then you know what? When you feel these other things, you will have a choice. And say, am I going to let my feelings dominate me? Am I going to act like a carnal Christian? Am I going to be dominated by flesh? Or do I believe what the Word says? That in my spirit I have love, joy, and peace. If you understand this, then you've got a choice. You can walk in the flesh or you can walk in the Spirit. But see, most Christians on a functional basis don't understand that you're a new person. And so when you feel anger, when you feel depression, you say, well, I'm just real. I'm just trying to be real. I'm not a hypocrite. No, you are a hypocrite. Because you know what? You're a new person in Christ Jesus and you're denying who you really are. 
But I feel angry. Well, that's not the spirit part of you because the spirit part of you is exactly like Jesus. And you can turn around and love if you want to. There was a time when Jamie and I went to Pritchett, Colorado. This is where we first saw the first person raised from the dead was in Pritchett, Colorado in a town of 100 people. We had 10 people in the church. It all of a sudden ballooned to, a, no, it was 144 people in the town and we had 100 people coming to church. I mean, it caused no small stir. And I had given my heart to these people. The church grew from 10 people to 100 people in a town of 144. You thought they'd be pleased and instead they were trying to run me out of town. They were lying about me. They accused me of doing things that I'd never done in my life. And I just got sick of it. I was ready to have a pity party. I sent out all my invitations. The demons were all gathered. And I was just waiting on Jamie and the boys to go to sleep so I could go down in the basement and have my pity party. I was tired of it. I had, these people didn't appreciate me. And I was just going to go down there and gripe and complain. And while I was waiting on them to go to sleep, I just was thumbing through the Bible and I flipped over of all places to Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And I thought, oh God, I don't want to rejoice. I want to gripe. I want to complain. That's what I felt like doing. I felt like it. See, some people are like, you just aren't normal. Matter of fact, at my last conference, Jamie put a picture up on the big screen of Android Womack. They had me in a Star Trek uniform with one of the little buttons, you know, like data, and I just flip off my emotion chip. Some people think I don't have emotion. I got the temptation. I just, if I don't like it, I don't indulge it. I'm not ruled by my emotions. But anyway, I was feeling like I want to gripe. Sometimes you feel like you just like it better if you gripe a little bit. I tell you what, the, it never produces it. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Indulging your... Did I say that wrong? Hey guys, cut that thing off. You aren't supposed to have that back there. <laughs> the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And so I've got a choice to get angry or just walk in love. Amen. We'll deal with you when we get back. But see, because I had a choice, I sat down and I, I started thinking, God... Am I going to indulge my flesh and because I feel rejected and feel hurt, am I going to gripe and complain about it? Or am I going to rejoice and do what I know is in my heart? And you know what? By the time Jamie and the boys got to bed, I was down in the basement just rejoicing and having an awesome time, throwing myself a party. And some people think, well, you're in denial. I am denying that I am only flesh. I am denying that because I feel something means that that's the way it is. That is so carnal. That is so short-sighted. That is an insult. It's blasphemy against God. When God says you've got love, joy, and peace, you are healed, and yet your body says you're sick, and so you're going to say and act what you feel instead of what the Word says, you can justify that any way you want to. It's just what the Bible calls unbelief. Amen. Thank you, John. That's about the way that usually goes over. One person out of five or six hundred. Amen. The others are. I tell you, brothers and sisters, we're baptized in unbelief. Yes. Unbelief is just believing something contrary to what God says. God says you're an overcomer. Yes. I can guarantee you there's a lot of you in here that don't feel like you're an overcomer. And so you act on your feeling instead of what God's Word says. God's Word says you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There are many of you that want that, desire it, pray for it, but you don't feel it. You don't feel a tingling, and so you don't do it. And people are dying around you and sick, and problems are happening because you don't believe what God's Word says. Well, I've prayed and nothing's happened. What you mean is I don't feel anything yet, and until you feel it, you aren't going to act on it. That's what the Bible calls unbelief. 
Brothers and sisters, this is how simple the Word of God is. God's Word is telling you who you are in Christ. Your senses tell you who you are in the physical, in the natural. They monitor the carnal realm. Are you going to believe what God's Word says is true in the spirit? Or are you going to believe what the physical, natural realm says? That choice, that decision determines whether you walk in joy and victory or whether you walk in sickness and defeat and sadness and all these other things. You know what? I have learned that I'm in Christ and I'm not coming out. You aren't going to get me to tell you how I feel in the natural. You aren't going to get me to go by my feelings. And I have feelings like anybody else. Linus was with me in Charlotte one time when a guy I was witnessing to just spit right in my face. And you know what? I never missed a word. I was able to wipe the spit off and just go on talking to him about the Lord. And I didn't feel joy and love towards this person. I wanted to punch his lights out. But you know, and some people think, well, I thought you were past that. I'm, you never get past the flesh. Until the day you go to be with the Lord, if somebody spits in your face, you're going to want to just punch their lights out. And if you don't, something's wrong with you. But I am not limited to what I feel. And I know that there is a part of me that's like Jesus and that I can turn the other cheek and that Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And because of that, I was able to love this guy, hug him, witness to him, talk to him, and not take an offense and not be hurt by it because I've got a choice. There is another me on the inside. If I thought all I was was carnal, physical, natural, then I'd be hypocritical to be acting like I love somebody when the truth is I just hate them. But no, the truth is my spirit does love them. That's the true me. And when I act on how I feel, that's hypocritical. That's not me. That's not the new me. I'm acting out of the flesh. And that is not me. I am in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creature. And I've got a new identity. Man, you need this revelation of who you are in Christ. And I hadn't got it all figured out. Man, I'm still learning. I'm discovering things. But you know what? I've, I hadn't arrived, but I've left. And I've come far enough to know that I'm on the right track. I'm seeing the power of God manifest. And brothers and sisters, most of us just haven't answered this question about who am I. If you're born again, that's a first step. But then you've got to discover what happened to you when you got born again and find out who you are in Christ. And man, you need that revelation. You need it. Praise God. You know, I've got probably 20 or 30 hours worth of teaching on things that I've said tonight. And I just hit some of the highlights. I encourage you to get some of those tapes. That one on spirit, soul, and body is one that will give you a foundation in what I'm talking about. And there's a lot of others, but you need to get this revelation. You need to answer this question, who am I? Because you, you won't be able to relate to other people properly until you find out what you have in Christ. You can't give away what you don't have. If you think that, well, the truth is, I am just one angry, messed up, miserable person, then you know what? You're going to act like it. But if you can understand that I have the love of God on the inside of me, God Almighty loves me, then you can give away what you have. Most Christians don't know what they have. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you tonight for your love for us. Thank you, Jesus.